be able to identify the challenge and not the symptom. You go to the doctor, you have a fever. That's not the problem. That's a symptom. You know, low sales, low returns, low profitability is not a problem. It's a symptom. So don't treat the symptom. Be smart enough to be able to frame for your team what the problem is, because all of us get involved in the whirlwind. And before you know it, you're working on symptoms and you've got hundreds of tasks and project sheets and you're not keeping it simple. Hi, I'm Belden Mankus. Welcome to The Purposeful Strategist, the podcast that shifts the conversation about purpose and strategy from what organizations should do to what business leaders are doing and what they've learned along the way. In this episode, I'm very pleased to welcome Harry Draypush, CEO of Amware Fulfillment. Harry delivers a masterclass on how to identify a company's purpose create a clear strategy, and build a strong company culture. He provides memorable examples and simple rules that everyone can understand and use to guide what they do day to day. This episode is a must-listen for any CEO looking to further improve their leadership and management skills. Harry, welcome to The Purposeful Strategist. Really glad you've joined us. I wonder, maybe just to get us going, if you could tell us a little bit about yourself and also about Amware and what it does. Well, I'm from the Northeast, uh, the States, actually born in New York, and I've spent the last 40 plus years in logistics, in transportation, in warehousing, uh, various management positions. I've been CEO of two companies. I've been COO of two companies, helped get two companies sold and uh, really have a passion for it because I think it's one of the true fields where every day is different. The field evolves not in incremental changes, but in step changes. I mean, when I started the business, there were no computers in the industry. You know, today it's very, very different with robotics and all other technologies that you have in the facility. And I'm a private pilot and that's what I do. Mm, Very interesting. Very interesting. So if you can, just give me a sense of how big Amware is and a little bit of what it does. Because I think some of the things you do are kind of unusual, at least to find together. Well, Amware is a fulfillment company. I would say if you know Amazon, we would be a mini Amazon, so to speak. We take other companies' products, we store them, we get orders uploaded from these companies, and we fulfill those orders. We package them Uh, ship them out to customers. So we focus on business to consumer predominantly. We'll ship to your home. We'll ship to your office. We have a B2B component too, which is small. And we do uh, big box retail as well, because many of my customers do want to drive volume through big box retail. We have about 15 buildings in six major cities. We do some 17 million shipments a year. And when I became CEO five years ago, we were about a $40 million company. We are now five times that size. We've got some 200 customers and we focus on uh, nutraceuticals, health and beauty, apparel. Those are really our sweet spots for the company. But we go beyond that as well. But most of our referrals, most of our clients, what we are really, really strong at is uh, those three verticals. What's different about those that means, you know, they sort of all fit together? What are the characteristics that make it, you know, that's the sweet spot for you? So if you think of nutraceuticals, health drinks, 
pills, if you will, uh, health and beauty, uh, which are lotions and potions and creams. They look similar. They feel similar. You know, they pack very, very similar. And so we just, you know, we got very, very good at doing that. And the number one question I get asked by customers is show me who else you do it for that is like me. They want to see shipments of health and beauty. Show me how you pack mascara. Show me how you handle this. It doesn't matter if I can show them something that looks like me. If it's not mascara, they're not interested. So once you develop an expertise like that, customers get very, very comfortable and confident that you know the market, you know the nuance of the product, you know how it has to be handled. And so their confidence level goes way, way up and they're more than excited about partnering and letting us help them grow. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And just so I've got a sense of it, 17 million shipments sounds to me like a lot. I'm sure it is. But between the, the giants, Amazon, whoever, and you know maybe some really small ones, where does Amware fit in all of that? Well, if Amazon is the Pacific Ocean, uh, we are one of the Hawaiian islands in that ocean. Um, size-wise, we do not compare to an Amazon, for instance, who obviously is the behemoth in the industry, but we do very, very different things than Amazon does. We fit in nicely with the competition. And people ask me, why is Amazon not a competitor? Well, when you get a shipment from Amazon, you get a big brown box, right? Their box with their logo and a big smile outside the box. When you get a shipment from me, it is custom packaged. It's an experience. We don't tell our customers how they have to give us the product. We are an extension of their company, so we customize it. And what I like to say is, well, Amazon puts the smile outside the package uh, and your brand identity almost goes away. Amware puts the smile inside the package. And when customers open up something we've packaged, there's a big smile. There's a big happiness. It was worth waiting for. It's beautiful. Uh, It's the right thing. The key thing for that is repeat sales, right? We want to make sure that customers who open up one of our packages want to buy again from our customers. So hard to build a business without repeat business. Mm -hmm. Both from the conversation we had before and what you said today, you've been the CEO there for Five five years. And in that time, you've, if I've got it right, five times growth. Five. Yes. To me, it seems amazing. So when you came there, it sounds like your competitors were much, much bigger and you're catching up on them. Is that kind of what's going on? So yes, when I started, we really didn't have a whole lot of brand identity. We weren't really very well known. And that's a two-edged sword, right? You're working against an unknown company. On the other hand, I was able to fly under the radar. You know, my competitors did not necessarily take a hard look at me. You know, they might bump up against me once in a while. They didn't think much of it. But as we started to secure and win business, obviously they start to take a hard look and say, hey, we've just lost this tender, if you will, to Amware Logistics. Who are these guys? What are they doing? Where are they? So today it's not as, um, I don't want to say easy. I don't think it was ever easy, but it's more difficult today because I'm up against some very, very stiff and good competition. And that makes us better. There's many in the industry that are mediocre, unfortunately, but you have that everywhere. And then there are some that are very, very strong, very professional, very good. And we actually like to go up against them because it brings out the best in us. It makes sure we stay sharp and it keeps us on the edge, if you will, and we don't take anything for granted. So if you had to sort of step back and think about the organization's purpose, 
What would you say that purpose is? Well, our purpose is um, fairly simple, and that is to help brands grow. We make growth happen. We're not an impediment. Um, We always want to get out ahead of the curve. We want to partner with our customers in a very strategic way. Where are you going? How do you want to get there? When do you want to get there? What does the journey look like? And how can we prepare so that when, uh, you know, if you're running a restaurant and you're serving, you know, 30 meals a night now, but your goal is to serve 300 and it's not to do it in 30 years, but to do it in 30 days, we can start to get the room ready, the chairs ready, the tables ready. We can have food brought in. You know, we can prepare so that you don't have to turn customers away, which is a huge turnoff and try to win them back again so that we're both ready to meet the onslaught, if you will, uh, as your business really starts to grow. Hmm. So how did you go about identifying that? Or was that purpose there when you took over as CEO? How did all that happen? So when I became CEO, and I want to be sensitive to people before me, you know, everybody does what they believe is in the best interest and works hard. But the, the bottom line was we really lacked focus. We chased a lot of different things. We chased B2B, we chased B2C, many different industries and product types. So there was a lot of expended effort in getting things we had very little opportunity to get. The team, you know, for lack of a better term, was probably confused and burnt out. You know, who are we? Why are we chasing these things? We're really not winning these things. So, you know, as an organization, we didn't really have a focus or a solid identity in the market. No one really knew who we were, but most importantly, we didn't know who we were. You know, we're chasing opportunities, again, that are difficult to win. And those that we did win, uh, we got involved in many startups, many small, small entrepreneurs. I mean, really small people who were still working maybe out of their garage. You know, maybe they're working out of a rental unit, shipping 100 orders a day, and it's getting too much for them. And so they came to us and, you know, those type of companies are generally undercapitalized, underfunded, under-resourced. And so now we're handling all these startups and every day we're getting a phone call from the customer that says, hey, those 50 orders I gave you yesterday, where are they? Did you fill them? Are they out for delivery? And so, you know, they can't afford to pay for the time that it takes to research all this. So I'm tying up my people. I'm tying up my management team on accounts that cannot afford the service they're asking to do. And so that was a problem. So we focus on, you know, what we're good at. And we started to say no to things that we were not aligned with or didn't find a core strength. Now, many people hear that as an entrepreneur and say, well, you know, if you limit yourself, you know, you're excluding a whole lot of business. And the actuality is, Every company has limited resources. There's no company that has unlimited funding, unlimited resources. So if you're going to try to find things for your organization to win, to partner with, you have to take those limited resources and focus them on where your best chance to win is. However, if someone drove by my driveway and decided to drop a bag full of money on it, I'm not going to tell them, no, keep driving. So if someone comes to me with an opportunity and says, Harry, I know you're not in this particular line of what I do. I'm into scientific instruments and there's a big market out there. Can you help me? I would for sure entertain that opportunity. I wouldn't solicit it and spend money and marketing dollars and effort. But if someone says, hey, we heard about your reputation. It's phenomenal. Your same day fulfillment. Everything we heard about you is great. We want to talk to you. 
that's a conversation we would for sure have. There's no question that we wouldn't have it. And uh, we would partner with someone like that. And listen, ultimately, that's how you expand your business. It's how you grow. But we want to stay true to what we're good at. Yeah. That sounds like you sensibly made some strategic choices about where you were going to play and how you were going to win. But I'm kind of curious whether this statement about sort of helping growth happen, making growth happen came before or after or as part of that. It came co-jointly with that. In other words, you know, when we're sitting around talking about, you know, why are we here? What's our why? You know, you start to say, hey, that's a great question. What is our why? And ultimately we landed on, well, listen, you know, we want to grow. How do we grow? Well, we can grow if we can make growth happen. I think the number one challenge for many of my entrepreneurs is they're worried about the logistics piece, whether they insource it, do it themselves, or whether they outsource it. They're worried about the fact that, hey, I can market and I can sell this stuff. I can sell a million of these, but I don't know if I can fulfill it. I don't know if I can get it out timely enough so that I don't turn half my customers away. So when we landed on the make growth happen, I mean, we instantly understood what we have to do. The mission works on several levels, if I may. You know, we help our customers grow. You know, that in turn helps our business grow. It keeps our shareholders happy. Our business growth creates new opportunities for our staff to get promoted, move into new roles, move into new geographical areas. You know, everybody likes to be a winner. Everybody likes to play for a winning team. And when you're growing and customers are happy and your net promoter score is increasing, you know, people love to be a part of that. Now, at the same time, we developed a mission statement. We tried to drive a new culture within the organization. And so we developed something that was very, very simple. And we call it house rules. For us, it's behaviors we expect, certainly internally, and then externally. And, you know, our our house rules are, are fairly simple. Shoot straight, which is really tell it like it is. Over deliver to your customers. Go above and beyond every day. Own it. Really take pride in the work you do. Be accountable. Stay safe. Safety in a warehouse should never be taken for granted. Uh, and ultimately, at the end of the day, if you do those four things and everything else falls into place as it should, you will have fun. And that's number five. And that that guides us. And we make hundreds of decisions in the warehouse every day. I, for one, can't be involved in all of them. My leadership team can't be involved in all of them. So how do we make sure that these decisions drive the behaviors we want and really support the mission statement of make growth happen? So it's really simple. When customers ask us to do things We step back and we say, does that make growth happen or doesn't it make growth happen? And if it doesn't make growth happen, it's an easy decision. And and there was one thing that I had read many, many years ago. Here in the States, Southwest Airlines grew from something very, very small to now being a powerhouse airline industry. And Herb Kelleher, who was the founder, was having a meeting with his leadership team The airline was growing, things were going well, and his marketing VP said, hey, we're getting feedback from customers on the Chicago to Dallas flight that said, if we serve them a salad at the lunchtime, they would really like that. You know, Herb said, that's great. Our mission is to be the low-cost airline. Does serving them that salad meet the low-cost airline? Is that going to drive our costs up? Or is that, yeah. And that was the end of the conversation. And that, for me, of all the things I had read, that rang the bell for me as to 
how you can align an organization, their thinking, their behavior, if you have the right mission statement and you stick to it and drive to it and believe it. I absolutely agree with that. I kind of, if you don't mind, want to go back to a moment you sort of talked about, but you didn't go into much detail on. You were sitting around the table talking about, you know, what are we trying to do here and what's our why? Who was around the table? And was it one conversation around one table or did it happen over a number of months, weeks? Who got involved? You know, what was the, the kind of choreography of it all? It's my leadership team. And, you know, my leadership team consists of operations, customer service, IT, sales, marketing. And, you know, as I took over, I wanted to give the organization direction and purpose. It didn't have that. So the conversation was, listen, this is our challenge. This is who we are today. Does anybody disagree? Can we agree on who we are, what our challenges are? And then, okay, who do we want to be? What do we want to be known for? And, you know, people would have ideas. And at the end of the day, it would be, okay, let's take this as a follow-up for our next meeting. Uh, Let's come back with some ideas, support your ideas about what you recommend I had meetings weekly at that time. I would say it probably took place over a month in which we landed on Make Growth Happen. You know, there's a tendency in these meetings. It's interesting. The little kid comes out of us. If you go back to school and remember when you were in school and you had committees, it's kind of funny how people start to get into a level that becomes um, a little bit cumbersome, right? You want to keep it simple. The more technical you make it, the more in-depth you make it, the harder it is for people to remember So it was trying to keep the team on track, keep it simple, you know, see big picture because I see big picture. I'm the CEO. But if you're the ops person, you know, you have to get out of the mindset when you're in this meeting that you're just an ops person. People have to check their ego at the door and that we're in there to get to the best place possible. And it doesn't matter who gets us there. We need to get there. And and you get as much credit for recognizing a great idea as you do for saying it, because there's many, many great ideas that get crushed in these meetings when someone wants to play devil's advocate. I mean, after three or four times, if I come to my boss with what I think is a great idea, and rather than him taking it and trying to run with it or collaborate with me, he keeps pushing back on me on why it won't work. Eventually, I'm not going to come to him with any great ideas, right? I'm done. So um, we kept it open. We kept it good. We agreed that, you know, for the good of the company, this is what we had to do. And and listen, honestly, you know, we were in a very, very difficult financial situation. The company was probably worth 25 cents on the dollar back then. We had many starts and stops. We had been doing well, but because we had lack of focus, we took an organization that was actually doing very, very well to one that started to really, really struggle. Um, it's insidious how it happens, but it happens. And you go from being okay to now not being okay. So kudos to my team. I mean, a lot of work, a lot of hard work, a lot of passion. And that sounds like that was five years or so ago. Has it been revised, questioned, updated, or is it sort of, nope, make growth happen. We kept it simple. We kept it something people get their head around. It's just worked. It's still the same. You know, have there been refinements? You know, I would say, yes, I think we did refine our house rules for sure. You know, you start out with something and then you morph into something that is close. And so you're going to tweak it and adjust it so it makes sense. There was a ton of engagement 
with people throughout the organization, people on the floor. I mean, everybody got kind of excited, right? Everybody's going to get excited with something new. And then they're going to wait and see, is this the flavor of the month? You know, is it vanilla this month? Is it going to be Rocky Road next month? Are we going to Tutti Frutti? And sometimes there's a lot of that. And we stayed the course. This is it, guys. This is what we're doing. Help us. And people started to say, okay, this is real. This is just not the flavor of the month. Let's get on board. Let's, you know, let's contribute. And, you know, it just, it, it, it became a culture that people wanted to be a part of. That, that was the outgrowth of it internally. Mm-hmm. On that journey, what surprised you the most? Um, how it takes on a life of its own. How it becomes the actual driving force in a place when associates, when you're on the floor and associates walk up to you and start to talk about the house rules, they start to talk about, it's great to be here. We all have a good purpose here. We care about the organization. We're all passionate. We love the fact that you're visible. The team is visible, that you treat us great. I think how quickly people embraced it and actually how soon we started to get some traction was a little bit of a surprise. It shouldn't have been. But, you know, like generals will tell you, the best laid plans for battle go instantly poof when the first shot is fired. So you're right. The the first onslaught of business coming in, it's easy for people to gravitate back to what they're comfortable with, do what they're comfortable. Oh, don't don't worry about that. We're not going to do that. Let's let's just get this done. But people stayed the course, kept true to the plan, and, and we kept true to our identity to this day. We do not chase business. That doesn't make sense. When we get an opportunity, we'll sit around and talk about it. What can we add here? Is it the right thing to do? Does it fit? And if the answer is no, we'll try to find that individual, that customer who contacted us. We'll try to set them with the right people who can help them and say, that's not us. The biggest fast food organization that I know of in the world is McDonald's. But they don't sell pizza. How come? I mean, they're bigger than everybody. There's just a whole pizza segment there. It's fast food. It's pizza. Why don't they do it? It's not what they do. It's not what they want to be good at. And there's been lots of ideas, lots of pressure from shareholders. You got to grow. You're a little stagnant. You're not growing fast enough. Let's get into the pizza business. You know, let's get into the chicken wing business. Those guys are growing and doing great. You know, Chick-fil-A. They didn't. They stayed true to what they are. They did add different things in their menu to create variety and interest, but they didn't get into certain fast food segments that they didn't think made sense for them. And they didn't want to lose their identity. Mm. You've used that word identity a number of times. I think that's really key. What did you find was the most difficult part of the journey? Um, so the toughest part of the journey was keeping the focus. And along with that is I don't read my own press clippings and trying to tell people don't get caught in the celebration. Don't get drunk with success. It's fleeting. You know, you take a look at the large corporations that have filed bankruptcy that were here 30 years ago and not here today. And why? They became complacent. They read their press clippings. They thought they were great. I dealt with Sears in the 80s and early 90s. In college, I did a a marketing paper on Kmart here in the States. The big retailers were JCPenney, Sears. No one even heard of Walmart. And so Kmart was the up-and-coming darling. They were opening boxes on their floor and selling out of the boxes. It was a great model. JCPenney's and Sears didn't necessarily feel threatened by them. And then nobody even talks about those three today. It's Walmart, followed by maybe Target, at least here in the States. So... 
you know, convincing people, don't read the press clippings, stay focused. You have to keep your nose to the grindstone. Don't stop because when you stop, people are going to bypass you. You have to keep innovating. You have to keep looking and you just have to keep growing. Otherwise, you're going to be on the heap pile of companies that, you know, thought they were good and no longer here. Mm. Picking up that theme of kind of learning and growing, what have you learned along the way? Um, I would tell you, be true to your mission. Uh, first and foremost, don't be the flavor of the month. Um, find passionate people. People matter. You know, get the right people on the bus. Don't necessarily worry about the seats. Make sure that you create opportunity for people and find out who wants to grow in the organization and nurture them and, and cultivate them so that they want to continue to do what they do, but they also want to have hope that there's more. Don't rob people of the dignity of doing a good job. And what that means is if you want people to dig a big hole for you today, if you need a 10 foot wide hole by 10 foot deep, don't give them spoons to do the job and tell them to work harder. Resource people properly. Give them the dignity that if you want this job done, we're going to give you the tools to do the job. And the biggest pet peeve I have about that, when I walk around a warehouse, if I see something that's broken, see a printer, how long has that been broken? Oh, Harry, that's, it's been like that for four months. What do you mean it's been like that for four months? Why isn't it being fixed? I don't know. I told the supervisor, we've told them a few times, you know, they're not paying attention to it. I mean, think about the devastating message that sends to your people. One is we don't really care about you. We don't care about these things. What are they going to do when they break something? Well, they're going to just leave it. They're going to say, hey, nobody around here cares because if it's broken, it's been sitting here for months. So I'm pretty focused on making sure the things that we have work, work properly, get fixed properly, keep people in the loop. And the other big thing is communications. People should know how the company's doing. We have town halls, you know, quarterly with our people. Keep them up to date. Don't tell them this is MI6 here. It's a need to know basis. We'll let you know. You don't need to know how the company's doing. You just do your job. Just, you know, get that stuff done. I mean, that really turns people off. So just be inclusive, but be inclusive from a business perspective. And I think those are the tenants we follow. And I think if you follow them, you're going to attract people who want to be a part of that. They're going to recommend to their friends and family, hey, you need to come work at Amwork. These are great folks. They take care of you. High expectations. They do keep the bar high, but they take care of us. It's fun to work there. They recognize achievement and they promote. They listen to us when we speak. Mm -hmm. And if you had to give advice to a business leader, maybe someone who didn't quite have all your experience, somebody who was a bit new to the whole being a CEO thing, and who was wrestling with their own organization's purpose and how to connect it to a strategy, what advice would you give? Um, first and foremost, is there a need for what your company's doing? Figure that out. What is that need? What are you really, really great at that you can build on? Make sure that you hire people that are at least as smart as you, hopefully smarter. Listen to them. Make sure they're passionate. Keep their passions going. Let people help get you where you need to go. I've worked for many people over 40 years and I've learned something from everybody I've worked for. I've worked for some incredibly smart, good leaders and I've worked for some that it didn't come natural to them and they weren't smart. And some of these leaders felt they had to be the smartest person in the room when things were going a little bit sideways, when things were getting tough, that they personally needed to step up 
and direct the organization and they stopped listening, which is, you know, deadly. So if you surround yourself with bright people, if you give them an environment in which they can grow and speak, when there's a problem, you know, many hands make the task easier. Pull them together. First and foremost, what the leader has to do is be able to identify the challenge and not the symptom. You go to the doctor, you have a fever. That's not the problem. That's a symptom. You know, low sales, low returns, low profitability is not a problem. It's a symptom. So don't treat the symptom. Be smart enough to be able to frame for your team what the problem is, because all of us get involved in the whirlwind. And before you know it, you're working on symptoms and you've got hundreds of tasks and project sheets and you're not keeping it simple. You know, ladies and gentlemen, what's our problem? Okay. How do we attack this problem? Listen, stay focused. You know, follow-up is critical. Meetings should have notes and meetings should have to-dos, deliverables that come out of them, and they should be followed up at the next meeting. And then you keep that going. And that's how you keep your people focused. And that's the advice I would give to someone who's up and coming and building an organization. It's not enough to be passionate. You've got to rely on people to help you grow. I went to work for a family. Seven of the family members were involved in the business and they had a hard time relinquishing control. And the family wanted to make literally every decision, every decision for the organization. And the business was relatively stagnant over a period of years. Growth would come, it would ebb, it would flow. They brought me in as COO. We were sitting around one of the weekly meetings that we had and what came up was I had someone who ran a campus. This individual was in charge of the whole campus. So the family said, hey, I'll say Jack was his name. Jack wants to promote um, Belden to second shift supervisor in building five. What do you think about that? I said, well, I'll be honest with you. I don't know who Belden is. Um, well, why don't you look into it? I says, no. I says, I'm not going to look into it. I think that Jack, who's running the campus, is qualified to make that decision, and he's going to make it. And if it's the wrong decision, we'll figure that out. But, uh, you know, right now, Jack's the guy, and Jack is going to do it. I mean, they looked at each other. They thought that was... I said, look, I'm the pilot flying the plane. I says, I can't be worried about the fact that the people serving the meals back there and someone is unhappy with a meal, and I'm going to start leaving the plane and go back and talk to the passengers and say, hey, guys... I know this meal wasn't good. We'll make up to you now. I mean, I have to fly the plane, stay focused. And if I'm involved in all this minutia, no one is flying the plane. And we'll fly it into a mountain or we'll be off course. I said, you know, our job is at a higher level to provide strategy and direction to the organization. If we don't have the right people running the campus, then we'll get the right people. But it's in their province. They have to make those decisions. I can't be making 500 decisions a week. I said, you guys obviously have more capacity than me. But I can't do that. When they hired me originally, they had a, a huge meeting and they brought the company together. They wanted to introduce me. And so I stood up and they said, Harry, say a few words, please. And I thought, okay, I hope they don't regret this. I stood up and I introduced myself. I told them about what I had done, why I'm qualified to be here. I says, but make no mistake about it. I'm here for a paycheck, probably just like the rest of you. So let's be frank and honest. I'm here to earn money. You're here to earn money. But while we're here, we're going to care. We're going to pay attention to our jobs. And when we're not here, we're going to play hard. The family, I thought, was going to fall off their chairs. Is Who the hell is this guy? And what did he tell people? And oh, my God, you know, he's here for a paycheck. Yeah. My doctor didn't recommend 50 hours of aggravation a week. Go find it. That's not why I'm here. 
took that company, we went from 70 million to 140 million in seven years. A company that was stagnant didn't do anything. So again, results will be there if you follow the blueprint, you're passionate, and you create an environment where everybody wants to win in, but it's focused, it's clear, and you stay true and you only make corrections when you absolutely need to make major corrections. Okay to tweak, that's what you do, but don't change the mission every three months. Don't change the flavor every month to where people say, we just need to ride this one out. Don't get too invested. But if you can figure it out and get the passionate people, you'll make it happen. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Well, let me say thank you so much. That was really sort of a masterclass in how to think about purpose and strategy, how to set it, how to stick with it. Thank you so much for joining us. Belden, it was a pleasure. I would love to come back if there's a topic, if there's more that you'd like to go into, always happy to do that. That sounds great. Thanks so much. Thank you for joining us for this episode of The Purposeful Strategist. Please email any questions or suggestions to belden at mancus.com. In addition to being available on our website, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher. If you enjoyed this episode, we release a new episode weekly. Don't forget to subscribe. Thanks again, and join us soon for the next episode of The Purposeful Strategist.